0: Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One on One, Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. We are in the middle, and this actually will be the final episode when it airs, on our Women in Writing series, and we've had some really phenomenal conversations with women writing in all different areas, uh, writing wisdom, writing, writing on Tanakh. Translating, uh, and and they've been really diverse, phenomenal conversations. And I'm really thrilled to be here uh, with, uh, with Dr. Erica Brown uh, for this Women in Writing series. Dr. Erica Brown is the director of the Mayberg Center for Jewish Education and Leadership and an associate professor of curriculum and pedagogy at the George Washington University. She is the author of 12 books on leadership, the Hebrew Bible, and spirituality. Her latest book is The Book of Esther, Power, Fate, and Fragility in Exile. It's a pleasure and an honor to be sitting here with you. Thank you so much.
1: No, the honor is all mine. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I have to say that, again, this is a little bit, it's okay. The I like to, I'm cool being vulnerable, that of whenever we put out books to the world, we never know where they're going to go and, and who they're going to meet. And I want you to know that they've met me um, at, at different stages of life. Okay. And in a much earlier episode in the podcast, when I when I spoke sat down with my friend and colleague Nahama Goldman Barish, she had told this great story where she said that growing up seeing on the shelf of her home books by a woman named Nahama Nahama Leibowitz, she said for her was really inspiring, like without even knowing the content, but knowing that there was a woman on the shelf and that they shared a name uh and uh and and we don't share a name and and we've never crossed paths before this evening, but I just want you to know that that from when I was coming of age and coming of age and hoping to be in the Torah world, that I took a tremendous amount of chizuk from the fact that you were uh, on, that you were on the shelf. Uh, And, and therefore I, I was so thrilled that you agreed to, to speak with me for this, for this particular series, because that's, that's the whole point. That's also part of what I am trying to achieve in a series like this is to encourage women to write because for so many reasons, maybe we'll get into or not. There are a lot of challenges along the way, uh, that I think are particularly posed for women, and so first of all, I want to say thank you uh, because even and and the content I also enjoyed tremendously but even but you being there and putting out such high level um content and torah has been um has been inspirational, and so I just want to thank you first
1: oh that's uh that's so so kind of you uh to say um I actually saw an expression recently, and I think about it a lot when it comes to women writing within the Torah world. And that is that women need shelf confidence. Oh, wow. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what does it mean to, you know, to see? And I work with a lot of younger female writers to try to encourage them to put down their Torah. And you're right. It's it's hard. You know, um, I think women need a lot of encouragement. I think that so far women have been spending a lot of time teaching and sort of figuring out where they are in the Torah world and um, trying to create the elusive work-life balance and then writing becomes like a tosifet. you know, it's like the side dish um, and not the the entree. And then, you know, serious writing and output really requires the kind of discipline that it can't be on the side. It's just got to be sort of front and center. So thank you so much. I would say one of the hardships of writing is that you don't get the same feedback you get when you're teaching, you know, just people's faces aren't there and you don't know how anything lands. And, Um, people are surprised to know that you don't get a lot of feedback from readers, um, and so you know I never know if my books get read.
0: Totally, no, I, I totally understand that. And also, you know, we we write with an imagined audience, and and this you never know where it actually is hitting. So yeah. Anyways, here's a live face of someone, so I, I appreciate it. <laughs> and,
1: oh, that makes me happy. Thank you.
0: Okay. So I want, I want us to go, I want us to go back. Okay. I want us to go back a little bit in time and you can take us wherever you'd like. I really like to start all my conversations in a similar way because honestly, it fascinates me. And because our journeys as women, I think also are particularly diverse. And so I, I we're going to really focus on the writing piece today, but I would also like to first hear where, where did your love for Jewish learning and then teaching, which are not the same thing, where, where do those, Come from, or how do you? Where do you see them uh, generating from?
1: Yeah, so it's a it's a great and complicated question, and I don't know how much time you have. But, um, <laughs> I, um, my I, my kids I are not, asleep. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and my kids have moved out of the house, so we're good. I, we're, good. Uh, we're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did not grow up in a religiously observant home. Um, I grew up in a home uh, where Jewish identity was very closely aligned with. Holocaust survivor identity. My mother was a child survivor, my grandparents were Auschwitz survivors, and um, it took a year for them to reunite. And when they finally came to America, my grandparents, who were Geruch Hasidim, really pretty much left everything, um, and were not Shabbat or Kashrut observant. Um, My family belonged to a conservative synagogue, and for a while I went to a very small Orthodox Hebrew school, and I learned very little, uh, but I did win a junior Jewish encyclopedia for reciting the first paragraph of Shaman forty-five seconds. Um, <laughs> and I learned that um, the goal of Hebrew school was to read things you didn't understand really quickly. Um, but I was very fortunate that someone in my Hebrew school asked me when I was in fourth grade, "Do you want to go to a shabbaton?" And I had no idea what is a shabbaton, and uh, but I went and I saw. I saw something that I really wanted for myself, you know, people singing and closing their eyes and dancing and a certain values proposition in the lifestyle. And, um, slowly, slowly, made my way, you know, the choreography of tefillah is very, very hard for an outsider. Keeping kosher when you're young. Um, I, I became a vegetarian. It was very hard. Keeping Shabbat was probably excruciatingly hard as a young teenager. Uh, by the time I was in 10th grade, I did, I, I refused to go to school on the holidays and um, I lost my merit scholarship as a result in the prep school that I was in. So I sort of forced myself on the path and I um, went to Frisch Yeshiva for two happy years. And, uh, you know, I was, I was always a disciplined student and I'm an oldest child, so you can put that together. (laughs) And so, you know, I wanted, um, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to get good at this and I had the great privilege of, Studying Gemara with some amazing people um, in in Frisch, and then going on to Lindenbaum, which was Buried at the time, and that was extremely fortuitous because I met Malkabina, who was at that point running the school with Chaim Bravender, and she introduced me to my husband eventually. So she really, and I I, I can't even tell you. Uh,
0: she really set you up for life there. <laughs> she,
1: absolutely, in so so many ways, and the gratitude is is deep and profound. Um, you know, and I, 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 I always gravitated to learning and, um, and then the question was, you know, how do you, how do you not drown in the sea of Talmud? Uh, when I was in the Beit Midrash in that gap year, I went back for a second year. I felt I had this recurring dream that the, that the, that the shelves were falling down on me. Um, I I think there was just this feeling I I have to master all this and how am I going to do that? And it's impossible. And at a certain point, I made that switch and understood, you know, for Jews, this is a lifelong journey and, and it's never about mastery. It's just always about being in the game and, and being all in. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's, you know, and then I went on to Yeshiva University and I went on to do my master's work and my PhD. Um, and it, it, it's really using much of the same tools that I began to develop in high school.
0: Wow. You're starting with a yearning, basically, for spiritual life. That's what you're describing, uh, a yearning that, that you felt very, very young, uh, and maybe a yearning that had recurred from a generation before, right? that was sort of recycled uh, or always there. And, uh, and then eventually that took the form of, of loving to learn Torah. And that when did that translate into teaching? Meaning was that at the same time? Did you, were you starting to teach al, al, already when you were much younger?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I should say that my family also, you know, are ballet Chuva, that I sort of was the first. And then, um, oh, wow. and my, and my grandfather whose name is Abraham started putting tefillin on again at 75, Wow, um, which is like, I think about, you know, Avram Abinu, who's, you know, leaves for Canaan at 75. And I, that, that was actually, that's also been very, very important. I was very close with my grandparents and, um, they, they were formed a very, I know that Malki was very close with her, booby and I was in, she knew my grandparents and, um, you know, the, their Jewish core was not intellectual, but it was very important to them that we all went to school and that we all continued learning. And so, um, my my father was a teacher, my mother was a teacher, my brother um, is is the rosh hashiva of Chappelle's. It, 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 it sort of my my great grandfather was a malamed. I think in some way it was part of the DNA. Um, I loved watching Laura Ingalls Wilder um, and Little House on the Prairie. I don't know. I just. Uh, I, I it was going to be teaching. I had a, a a hot second. I thought about going to law school because I was a philosophy major, and you know what do you do with that? Um, it would, probably would have been teaching or journalism. But I I do view writing as a form of teaching. It's just a, a different form of teaching. And I would say so. Sort the of, you know both of those things are part of my teaching life.
0: Yeah, and who would you say were. I'm sure there were many, but if you could pick, you know, just two or something of of that sort, formative role models or teachers, whether you knew them or not, that you've sort of felt were formative in that journey of yours, whether the the religious observance journey or the teaching journey.
1: Um, gosh, there there there's so many. I mean, there's people like Rav Moshe Feinstein who. Or the Rav, people who influence the way I think about the modern world in confrontation with ancient texts, and whether that's in a responsive forum or whether that's in a philosophical sort of philosophical or or sort of a the parshanut of life and through that Jewish lens, um, I would say you know m- more closely, and I've been speaking quite a lot about this uh th- that rabbi Jonathan Sachs I, I my husband's English and we moved to England for him to complete medical school and we live very close to Jews College and rabbi Sachs was my master's thesis advisor and uh, you know this was years before he became the chief rabbi but I got a front seat in a, in a, in a pretty small institution to watch a very gallant teacher who had this background in philosophy and was tackling very, very large subjects. And he was a voracious reader and he was a versatile writer and he was relentless. And I think that was a really important year for me. I, I actually thought I would be a high school teacher and, um, I applied to the only high school there, uh, that, that I knew had an opening and, uh, they didn't accept me. I was, they, I think, they were a little afraid of an American woman who knew Gemara That was not of interest, and I sort of fell into teaching adults as a result of that experience. I ended up teaching for a program, a Hebrew University program at Jews College, where I met Rabbi Saxon, where I began uh, to formally study with him. And I would say I fell into adult education, and 32 years, years later, I'm I'm still in. Wow.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely remember reading about uh, you speaking about that, uh, the formative relationship that was that was there. If I'm remembering correctly also, because oh, I think about it so much as well, I'm just in a slightly complicated stage in life, in a good way complicated, but something to the effect of no matter what, someone has to keep reading. Meaning if you're going to be somebody, and I don't know if this is maybe, I'm pretty sure I, I remember reading it somewhere with you and it's something that I think about a lot that you know, we, if we're going to be teaching others and giving to others, we have to constantly be recharging and keeping ourselves fresh and intellectually engaged. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and it's something I know that's so important to me and it, it also sets a very high bar. Um, but you know, to constantly be engaged in learning and reading because that, that kind of curiosity is something that will simply spill over and enrich everything you do. Um, I remember reading that somewhere.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I've always say you need a lot of, You need a lot of input to have a lot of output. And I think that that relationship, um, you know, I'm sure you had teachers. I had teachers, mediocre teachers who sort of taught the same thing again and again. And, you know, and their reading wasn't on trend and they weren't really keeping up with the large developments that were happening in the Jewish community. Um, I know very few Torah teachers, frankly, who read sociology. Um, And that was something I learned from Rabbi Sachs was we don't live in a community that is separate from the world or even separate from the Jewish community at large, um, whether that's the diaspora community, whether that's the Chiloni community in Israel, whether that's the Arab population, we're always living in a context with others. And that relationship will largely be defined by our commitment to knowing the other and our commitment to also um, you know, the, the, pro- the project of humanity uh, which is giving integrity to the other. And um, I think it's easy to stay insular. I mean, it, it, it's so easy. It's 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 really impossibly easy to stay where you are and to serve people who are like you and to look like them and to read like them and to write like them.
0: Uh, yeah, you know, there are some people who their their capacity or what they're looking for is to stay in that kind of path. And for others who feel that their mission is broader so obviously there's going to be a charge for them to to be broad right to live broadly to think broadly yeah um i think there's room for people to be narrow but then that also obviously i mean their their influence is going to be narrow which, which may be right for them sure
1: narrow but without judgment
0: I want us to shift specifically into the writing process. Um, and I, I'm curious, you know, in all that journey connected or, or not connected to the religious piece, was writing something that you always enjoy, that you always felt flowed for you or it was at a skill that you had to acquire at a certain point?
1: So, um, I, I, I don't actually have it right at hand, but I have uh, my first formal written piece of work, which I think I was five and a teacher typed, which was my <laughs> observations on each of the seasons, um, which I have framed. Um, and I wrote, I wrote a little story that I wanted to be a book called something like Gloaming in the Dark or something like that. And I, I remember the cover. Um, I, I grew up in the home of a professional writer so i grew up listening to a typewriter and get to the end the ding at the end um and then the push back um and writing was very uh it was it was it's um my most comfortable modality of communication um, much more so than teaching it's also the way when i need an answer to a problem i'll say i need to type it right in other words i that's that's the way i think and gain clarity Um, As a, as a professor in university, I struggle with the, with how few of my students are really good writers. And I always try to impart on students that good writing is good thinking. It's like your opportunity to be really, really clear and concise and share. And, um, and, I, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't, you know, they just, they just don't, we don't emphasize it enough in schools and we don't emphasize the editing process. You know, I can tell a writer a mile away, you know, when you, when you make a lot of edits, they read them and they're grateful. Right. Uh, you know, and, and Michele, it says like if you, you know, if you correct a wise person, he loves you, you correct a fool, he hates you. Like to me, the editor is the ultimate, like the ultimate in olam is the editing process of someone. They're the gift. Devoted, They're the gift. Yeah. You know? Really devoted to making you better. And I, I have actually had conversations with a, a variety of publishers where I didn't feel that I was edited well enough. You know, people are afraid to edit you as a, and you know, you're going, no, 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 no. I, I, the, I I'm, I'm only the writer. I service the reader. If it's not clear for the reader, then, you know, this isn't my soliloquy. This is, a contract um, that we make with each other that I'm going to write something of meaning or interest. And if it's, if it's not serving you and you put the book down, then I haven't done my job. And, and the editor is the person in between that space of reading and writing who helps you figure out how to, how, how, how to achieve that objective. And, and I'll, I'll see this in students where, you know, I, I do make a lot of comments on student papers and I always wonder, <laughs> is anyone reading those or can I just give you the grade? Because they just getting to the end of the paper and, and looking at the grade. But every once in a while, I'll have someone who I can tell this is a person who who's going to who's going to do something good one day with uh, with the
0: pen. I have to say, I, I always read the comments and I looked at the number last I. I didn't really care. (laughs) Good for you. I I definitely I didn't care, but uh, I'm
1: not sure I believe you. I mean, I always cared, but uh, no,
0: no, I think I had confidence the number was going to be good enough. Do You know what I mean? Like, and then I okay, but what I, I, I the editing. It's funny what you're saying, by the way, because you know, I don't, everyone's living in different eras and eras pass in five years at this point. So I don't, I don't know. And time is confusing, but it's, I, I really feel that in my education, which I don't think was, you know, the hallmark standard of, of great Jewish education, but it, it was, it was fine. Um, it was such an emphasis on writing. Uh, we had to learn how to write thesis paragraphs and we broke things. Maybe I was just lucky and had a few great teachers. Maybe it just fell on yeah on receiving ears because I liked to write at that point yeah uh but i really I really remember those those uh those skills but i i certainly i certainly in the country I'm living in that's been a issue it's been an issue for a very long time yeah. um it's yeah. It's simply not formally yeah. taught at all
1: right I mean there are people who are professional writers, and it took me four books to actually even think of myself as a writer. Because I think of writing as a malacha that everyone has to have. It's the same thing as, in my mind, it's a, just a more intentional form of speaking, right? So, so being, being and, and there are different genres of speaking. There's more formal speech and there's more casual speech, speech with friends, and, and there's some persuasive speech, and, and there's different types of writing. And, and, and so, there's a, lot, there's a lot of things to master. Um, But if we created a culture and society where we helped people think that way um, and developed, you know, they were constantly writing and constantly being edited so that they that's also an approach to is there people you criticize them or you supervise someone at work and they become defensive and they become. And uh, I think the nicest thing uh, my editor at Simon Schuster once said to me is I've never met someone who is more willing to rework you. Her work, uh, in other words, and what I understood from that was that a lot of people just they're stubbornly committed to what they already have. What learning is there in that? You know, yeah. there's very little learning in that.
0: I remember, in uh, I I majored in writing in college, uh, one of my majors, and I remember that the teacher who basically taught us all of our writing seminars, Instern, also. Uh, I remember this. I don't remember much, but one sentence that I keep with me and take with me everywhere, which is that your sentence that you love the most that you don't want to change is usually the worst one. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, you should always be very suspicious. She used to call them the pink bunnies. I don't know why, but she always be suspicious of the pink bunnies, right? Because they're usually the pitfall of what you're actually trying to say.
1: Yeah. And actually, uh, Faulkner, that's a, a famous Faulkner line about uh, getting rid of your little darlings. You oh, know, okay. Like the so that, that you I fall guess I'm in love was. with and and uh you know, and, and getting rid of them. Um yeah, there's there's almost everything's up for grabs in the editing.
0: Okay. So I, I'm I'm curious also, you know, you really write on on a very broad array of topics. Um and at this point, you know, it's such a uh prolific series of, of everything that you've written so far, and I'm sure Bethesh and all that is to come. Uh and so I'm curious also within the writing process, how does a new idea arise? Is it Sometimes is it commission? Is it something that you wake up one morning and say, Oh, I have to write a book about that. Uh, I'm curious how, how that process works.
1: Yeah. Um, it's a great question and it doesn't have a singular answer. (laughs) Um, there, there are things that I feel there should be a Jewish response to something. Um, and if no one's prepared to write it, I'll write it. So I wrote a book on scandal. I did not want to write that book, but it was, it was after the Madoff scandal and, um, I felt that that was, that was something that was important to write. And, um, and so, I, I, and I wrote a book on death and it was easier to write on death than to write on scandal. Um, when I wrote on death, that was a Simon & Schuster book and that was a commission book. Um, and sometimes someone will ask me to do, you know, um, in the Co-Ren in the series, would you be interested in doing Jonah? Uh, or Esther, and then I did Jonah, and then I did Esther. Um, and th- so that was, you know, those, those were, those were different. Um, you know, sometimes something is happening, and I feel like we need to respond to it. Um, and sometimes I've been working on a creative Perush, um interpretation of Shirim during Corona. I started to teach it. I mean, Corona was really right before Pesach, we're starting to understand and shut down and lock in. And I, I was joking about, I did a, a class called love in the time of Corona. And, um, and then a friend of mine said, you know, there's no women who was who in that class. There's no women who are writing on song songs. That doesn't make any sense. This, you know, the woman has such a prominent role. Why don't you write something? And the fact is that that's actually not true. There are plenty, there are women, not plenty, but there are women who've written on, on Shira Um, I don't know where that book will go. Um, I'm I'm traveling it right now. I'm always working on multiple projects. Um, But that was really a response to, that was my literal passion project during Corona, during COVID was to really take that on.
0: Some people bake muffins and you write books.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't bake muffins. I'm sorry, I don't bake
0: muffins. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My mother would send me a picture like, I don't know, every other day. Hi, mom, shout out to you. She might be somewhere in the audience. Uh, (laughs) Was sending me many Um, pictures of muffins. My
1: husband, my hus- my husband bread, was baking so. the muffins. Oh, yeah, what did he say? He exactly. was baking bread? Yeah. He learned to make challah, and that's a good skill to have, but know. it's not my skill. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm curious also in terms of the, the process itself. Are you, again, this is a really specific question? Are you someone who writes at night? You write early in the morning? Do you have like a time? That, that is right for you creatively, and, and also balancing it with teaching is so hard.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I am very vigilant and territorial about my time. <laughs> you can ask my husband or my children. Um, I think uh, you know, among the people who are writer friends of mine um, who are writing serious books you know once, one a, once a year, um, roughly, um, they're all doing similar to me, which is a thousand to two thousand words a day. Um, that's you know that when the active stage of the writing is sort of, which usually for me is the summer, like I'm prepping right now for June 1st. that's you know like that's the beginning um, of sort of and Rabbi Sachs, I'm uh, not to compare to, to him, but he sort of went into the summer trance, right, which is a very yeah, deeply I, immersive yeah, experience. Um, and I think the immersion is really important because at a certain point, this has to be something you're thinking about, you're reading other things and you're filtering them and you're in the shower and you're thinking it was, it's just this sort of constant, very, very generative process uh, in the, in, in the, in, in in the, in the initial writing stages. That doesn't mean there are a thousand good words a day. i um, far from it. And, you know, there are people who say never share, what your writing method is because other people say, well, then I'll do it and it doesn't work for them. And then they feel bad, but I'm, I i do not have to apologize for what anyone else does. I mean, no, of course do, do whatever, do whatever works for you. But for people, almost everyone I know says, I want to write a book and I'll get a lot of phone calls of people who say, well, I was thinking of writing a book. Um, I'd like to make additional income. So after I finish laughing, I try to give them the talk about, this is not something that you do for money. Um, but if you, you know, if you are serious about it, um you have to have some kind of discipline it was if, if you don't care and it's going to take you 10 years and that's like a sunday cleaning your garage project because into into hate but if you're a serious writer who wants to get published you have to be very very disciplined and you also have to be extremely resilient um i got rejected for 15 years uh before someone opened the door and i want to i want to talk about that especially with relation to women Um, I've always had a lot of friends who are published writers and, um, not necessarily generous on, on the, um, on the introduction, um, level. Right. Um, and I helped edit a book, um, just as a a favorite to someone I didn't know well. And I said, oh, could you introduce me to your editor? And he said, of course I can. It would be my pleasure and within five minutes he introduced me to someone um Stuart Matlins from Jewish Lights was my I did four books with him and 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 Stuart was incredibly generous and encouraging and I, I don't know why it took that long and so for me one of you know in mentoring younger people I uh, just just today introduced someone to an agent I I feel like paved the way that, you know, there are a lot of books in the world. Yours aren't the only ones. You're not that important. The field is important. And, and we need to have women on the shelf and women can sometimes, especially now we have a burgeoning of, of scholars, you know, in my day, there were, you know, the the Tom would at, at Stern, the advanced shear sure had about five or six people in it at, at its, at its highest uh, number. And um, a lot of women aren't generous with each other. They compete with each other. And they don't, and they don't, there's no, there's no girls network. uh, And there needs to be, you know, there needs to be, if you want help, I'm here to help you, but I'd like to feel that if I need help that I can call upon you. And I would say that some of the women in my generation were, were liked being liked being distinctive voices. And I wouldn't say that, you know, I, I think that's that's something that's got to change. I
0: think it is changing. I think also that what's underlying that psychologically, if I can be a lay psychologist for a moment, yeah, what's underlying that? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean this is those are the best. Yeah, kind. clearly it's the easiest kind. So there's, uh, I mean, also it's it's very commonplace in what are considered to be female professions. This is unfortunately a known stereotype. Okay, right. so let's just take that stereotype and put it into a field that's not quote unquote female. But I think that part of what comes along with that. Is self confidence. If people are confident, genuinely confident in what they're doing, they do not have to feel that they are. They're not in danger, right? I'm not. In, I'm not endangered because I am helping others go on this path. And I, I do agree with you that it has to be some sort of combination of of confidence, and that I'm not concerned that if others come, that I get pushed out. And also a real faith and a belief in that. I want others to be on the court with me. Meaning what you're saying, oh, I, yeah. I, I don't want to be alone here. Right. I want others. I want other people uh, to, to, to bring this voice and it'll now be a plethora of voices. Um, so I'm happy to hear that it's changing.
1: That's, that's what makes it a field, right? That's what makes it a field to having a few women here at Po Bosham who are writing or teaching or that's not a field. And I think there's something distinctive. I hope there's something distinctive about the female experience that influences the process of parshanut. And I, I don't only mean Tanakh parshan. I mean the interpretive process is influenced by the experiences that uh, that we have and that make us distinct. And um, and and there's and and that needs a, 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 a deep and pervasive expression. And it and it doesn't get that if it's only you know sometimes someone will say something to me like oh you're you know you write you must write like so and so just because that's a female scholar and you are you know like i don't i don't call myself a scholar but you know you're a female torah teacher and they're a female teacher you know and they're the same people wouldn't say that about males they just wouldn't and um and sometimes you know it's about the way that you get pigeonholed externally and sometimes it's what you do to yourself or what or what other women do um do internally and I just the older I get, the less bandwidth I have for that. Be generous or don't be. That's you know, like this is not this is Torah, right? This, Torah has to Torah has to influence who you are at your core. You know, the haftalarecha kamocha is not only your neighbor. It's also the colleague and it's also the person who, you know, more people showed up at her talk than your talk. Okay, you know, you'll manage, you'll learn, you'll grow.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, I really, I'm, I'm taking that in also taking that in and I, I I'm, I see it in small ways and that ways that I'm going to share in this, in this, uh, forum and it, it hurts me, um, not hurts me cause I'm hurt. I'm saying it hurts <laughs> me to see that it's, uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's chaval. It's also just unnecessary because it'll still take another, you know, it, it, the more women are normalized as being scholars, teachers, writers, whatever it is, um, the less will, you know, women will have to fear that their place will be taken, uh, I do think sometimes it comes down a little bit to something you wrote about famously, which I was debating if I should have mentioned it. But I'm curious to talk to you about it, but I don't think I'm going to do it here. Mm. But also a, a dearth of opportunity, really? and and that it's difficult to make a career. Yeah, and so it's not just only the self confidence piece; it's also a, gen, a genuine fear of I I need to have a parnassa and right. and there aren't that many jobs available. Um, maybe we'll save that. Yeah, there aren't. Yeah. There aren't. I know. <laughs>
1: No, there aren't jobs available. There aren't jobs available. And I, and I I think it's important to say, you know, you, you know, um, and, you know, I have, I have two daughters and two sons and daughters-in-law and a granddaughter. And I hope for my granddaughter that should she want to enter the field of Jewish education on an advanced level, that there'll be a job for her. Um, but there'll they'll be jobs for her only if we make the jobs, right? And and we haven't made the jobs. We created the education, but we didn't create the jobs. And so that, you know, that that doesn't that that doesn't bode well for it's not because I'm being pessimistic, quite the opposite. I'm in this, right? I I I, I bet on that horse. Uh, but I also think as as a as a responsible parent um and mentor and friend to other people, I can't tell you to to, you know, to study for five years. And then you'll be the equivalent of an assistant rabbi for the rest of your life. That's not the path of influence, unfortunately. And, and um, I mean, someone, maybe, maybe people have to do it so that it breaks the ground. Um, and I'm sure that they, I'm sure there's a lot of truth to yeah. that. Uh, and I did get, I did get a, le- a lot of heat for that, um, for, for writing that. Um, and I think, I think the reason,
0: and it's okay. You still stand by that though. Meaning, you still feel that, you know, I guess now it's five years later. You, you still feel, I don't even know, but you feel that way.
1: I feel like there are exceptions to it. And I'm really proud and happy about those exceptions. But I think I, and maybe that's just always the way it is with a new trend and new phenomena. I I mean, I can't even describe to you how far we've come from the days when I, you know, when I sat as an 18-year-old in a Beit Midrash in a basement without heat, and um, you know, you fought for who could sit next to the kumkum kum in the middle of winter, um, so you'd stay warm. I, I, we're, you know, we're in a totally different universe. So for people who say, oh, orthodoxy moves so slowly, I'm like, not what I'm looking at. I, I think it's-
0: Yeah, no, not so much. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I think it's a sea change. But I think there are structural issues. You know, it's sort of like the difference between racism And structural racism and, and, and people are starting to understand that there are societal structures, which create expressions of racism and there's societal structures, which hold women back and um and create and 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 don't create the possibility for taking this education and this spiritual ambition and doing something with it
0: and for you that means we've veered off the writing piece but i'm gonna allow us to stay here for another minute purely for personal reasons no but um in terms where do you see the women part we're gonna stick to the women not to the racism but the for the women part the, what's the solution is having, I mean, in Israel, let's say, for example, one of the solutions that's brought up on forums that I'm on is how every girl's high school should have a woman who is the, is the rabbi Sefer. meaning like that's instantly giving jobs all throughout the country, right? Why it's, isn't it hilarious that there is a man who is the head of a girl's school or who is the, it's, it's the rabbinic figure in the school Again, I'm, I'm maybe saying something. I think everyone listening here is largely understands what I'm trying to say, but it, it, there's something silly about it, right? We want them to have female role models. There are plenty of them around, you know. What I'm saying that like, we have we have so many, thank God, in certain parts of the country more than others. But uh, and so I'm curious for you, where do you see the structural shift? It's in the formalization of titles. For me,
1: it's not it's not about titles. I mean, I I, I, I you know I'm a doctor. Also, I, I'm not. I'm I'm i I'm mostly interested in in Tanaf. That's mostly what I what I write on and teach on, or other areas of Jewish thought. So it's not like I'm interested in being a rabbi. I'm interested in some aspects of what a rabbi does in terms of the platform to teach, and to also be in people's lives in meaningful ways and during milestone events. Um, but I, I and I and also think it's very different in Israel. I think Israel modern orthodoxy is thriving there's leadership there's innovation There's creativity um there are expressions of tzionud that are genuine there's there's capacity to be sort of deeply spiritual even neo-hasidic and here i think it's you know it's much more limiting and i think positions are much more limiting um but i'm not talking about titles i'm talking about jobs i'm talking about jobs. Um, and by the way there are many learned women who aren't great teachers they're just not you know just like there are many learned men who aren't great teachers but there are places for them to learn and so i think the next stage of this is asking some serious infrastructure questions look i i want to share with you i want to share with you a, a book that came in the mail uh, a few weeks ago the author sent it to me um, and i've been mentioning this um it's called dedicated the case for commitment in an age of infinite browsing by pete davis
0: hmm.
1: um he's a lovely guy he's sort of ai i i don't know how old he is but I, I think he's a millennial writing for millennials basically and i i don't quite make the cut age-wise but um <laughs> i just made the cut wrote,
0: yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> he um he wrote this because you know, he describes life for a lot of people as one long hallway with lots of doors, meaning the options are open everywhere and you don't want to close any options. And he says, he talks about how unsatisfactory that is in terms of making a life and making a craft. And he talks about what he calls long haul heroes, you know, people who they're just in this, they're not going to one protest. They're not making one splash They're not writing one article. This is what they do. You know, i am in this for the long haul. I know women who thought they were in this for the long haul but didn't feel that they got the support and the encouragement and everything was a sort of fight, and it was exhausting so so they're not there. I mean, when I think of someone like makabina she is absolutely a long haul hero for me you know yeah. she you know she she understood and and has devoted her whole life to this decades to this and those are the people who make changes. And that's why you're talking to me today because someone saw a future that other people maybe couldn't really attach mama shoot to, you know, it was just, it was too abstract for them. She made it real.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is, I, I am on the cusp of the, uh, of the millennial world and I see that it's, but it's, it's something we imbibe without realizing we imbibed it. And then we, mm-hmm. you know, you, you got to your twenties and you realize that, life is changing all the time and no one's staying at work for more than 3 years. Yeah. Uh so it's it's uh it's a crazy thing. I'm really I'm at the beginning of it. I'm not um yeah. But yeah, it's it's tremendously challenging and and those it's I think about it a lot in for myself my husband and I talk about it a lot as well because uh, we've been through shifts for all different reasons in our in the past couple of years. And uh and I think I will just say on the woman piece which is that mm. the long haul is Um, is a huge part of it. And another huge part of it is it being viable financially for people. Yeah, yeah, correct. And even if one has a deep belief in what they're doing and a deep belief in the long haul and sticking it out and they're not in it for the personal glory, but they really want to do it because they believe that they have what to offer and that this is a a worthy holy field, there's, because of what you said about the lack of infrastructure, uh, sometimes it just becomes not viable for them.
1: Yeah. And And you know what? We're not also part of the part of the challenge. Uh, and maybe the possibility of creating a sisterhood of a sisterhood of Torah of serious Torah is that people are transparent about salaries, right? Yeah. and they and they're able to talk about, um and the community at large right is that male teacher getting the same thing as a female teacher is you know are are people grown and promoted in the same way so those are those are deep those are deeper structural questions and it you know things do have to be viable now maybe for maybe for some people they're willing to take you know that hit i certainly i've always pretty much written my own job description which sounds on the one hand sounds wow, that's liberating. But I want to tell you, actually I find it quite that's terrifying. Stressful. I'd like to yeah. be somewhere where I'm I'm not also I have no designs to be a rush Yeshiva. It was like it's like, you know, people go to a one year program and then everybody wants to be a Rush Yeshiva and everyone wants to be a Ram and Yeshiva and you know, I I I I just wanted you know, I just wanted to think thoughts and write them down and share them with people and find find uh and in an adult education, it's it's hard to find that place. It's hard to find that place.
0: I, I want to just ask a, another question or two about them and to shift us back to the writing process. We, we've gone on to the women part, but I just, I still sure. uh, out of my, my own curiosity. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious also about, about the creativity. You spoke about being very intentional about it, which is something that I think that anyone, when you, when you study writing or learn, it's something that you really realize that people are, are very, you have to be very intentional about it. It's a discipline, just like, you know, just like any other, other craft that we do. Um, and, uh, I'm just curious though, if you felt that your creative process or your availability availability to be creative and right has shifted at different points in your life. Um, if, if you feel that, or you feel that it's been relatively consistent for you, that sort of this, like this spring, I'm thinking here of like this, like Mayan of ideas and thoughts I wanted to share that it's sort of just always been effervescent or do you, or have you noticed that it's shifted over time?
1: Um, i mean i'll share with you the most significant shift for me uh i'm 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 predominantly a reader i read a great great deal and i read in multiple arenas and that's that's like for me that's the mayan right the mayan isn't writing um the writing often is a response to reading and the creativity around reading and also i i suffer boredom so i wrote a book on boredom um and so I am tired of hearing Debre Torah that all sound like the same of Torah. I don't like the beginning. I don't like the end. I like, I, I, I can play the March of the Jewish cliches and, you know, start and you can finish. And, um, and so I'm, I'm fighting against that all, all of the time and trying to deliver something that's new. So during Shavuot, I taught, um, I I was able to do a Yizkurd Rasha, and I wanted to teach a particular midrash on Boaz, and I did it as a conversation between me and the angel of death, right? Like I wanted to teach something that maybe people had heard, but I wanted to frame it in a totally different way. And that's fun for me. You know, that's that's a lot of fun for me. It's also fun because I write um in the past few years I've written a lot for non-Jewish publications trying to use judaism as a path of wisdom and so that also makes me think like when people don't have to accept this tradition because this isn't their tradition how do you make the case for it in a way that that touches people spiritually and um i'm not saying that i can do that but that's, that's certainly an aspiration uh, for me um uh, the big shift for me First of all, publishing my first book was was really really important, and you know, getting through all that rejection and then realizing I have something to say. Um, I've written a doctorate, a lengthy doctorate, so I understood what it was to write a book. But understanding what book writing is as opposed to article writing, um, it's a different. You know, it's a, it's 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 a very different.
0: Yeah. Can I ask what? How you have to tell a specific age, but. What decade of light, meaning when were you published for the first time? When did you first come out with your book?
1: Oh, um, in I want to say in the early 2000s, I think, in the early 2000s or maybe mid-2000s.
0: I meant in your personal decade, but I, I can figure it out. Okay, yeah.
1: Yeah, 2000. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 55, so in 2005. I
0: think you were in your 30s when your first book my, came out?
1: My, and I had, you know, I had four kids. I had a husband who was an emergency room physician. So like making time to write, I'm also an, you asked me, I'm an early morning person. Um, and so I'm an early running writer. I, uh, I took a seven and a half year hiatus to do Daffy in my morning hours. So, you know, that was, that was a, that was a break. Yeah. Um, but I, I'll, I'll write a thousand words and I'll stop at almost a thousand. Um, like just over if I'm in the middle of a sentence and I'll, I'll spend as long as I need to, to get to that number um but i i i can't write at night i mean i'll write articles sometimes at night but most of the time it's um it's in the day um but i did have i can't remember what book it was maybe it was like book 10 in or something and i just felt like no one reads these books i make no money writing books why am i writing and i really should stop writing and i had a really like mushpir and oshi like really profound crisis because this was my way of communicating and And I, it was so disheartening to feel that we're also living in a time when, when people want tweet length ideas. And, you know, so I grew up not in that era and all of a sudden everything was changing. And then I just said, I'm sort of done for. And I took a break for a little while and it was so hard for me. It was so painful. I missed it so much. And then I realized, you know what? I'm doing this for my own learning. I learn so much when I write a book, like, and it's, it's, yeah, it's the ultimate teacher. And so I just said, okay, I don't care if anyone doesn't read it. I'm, I'm gonna write it. I, like I'm gonna learn, you know. And and that's that's great when you're when you're writing the book. When you're editing the book, and it's a bit of a drag, it's a little harder. But um, that that beginning process, it's falling in love. Wow. That's what it is.
0: Your books, as I mentioned earlier they're on such an, on such an array of topics um, and while I hang out most of my life in 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 the tanakh world i 'm curious all of the books you 've written about spirituality and daily inspiration and and also podcasting um, i'm curious what what has moved you to meaning to write a commentary on a book of tanakh, I would say that that 's something that we all uh, there's some, there's a natural muscle that exists there for those who are engaged in scholarship, let's say. Okay. But, but I'm curious where those books and that kind of communication through writing, where, where did that come from? Was it a need that you saw in the people you were teaching? Was it, you felt that you needed it? I'm just curious where, where that, where that generated?
1: Yeah, I think in some way, um, it comes as a response to the aridness I experience in a lot of people's religious practice and moments when I see it in my own, Um, you know, uh, I'll often write something that comes from a deep emotional wellspring um, and then try to figure out where in halakha it belongs. So I had, I'll just give you or over COVID um, I wrote, um i wrote for the atlantic and for first things and i i had an experience of going back to shul for the first time after the lockdown and seeing it was a friday night and i cried so hard that my 19 year old who was davening next to me said ima if you don't stop blowing your nose people are going to think you have covid and um (laughs) and i thought about the idea of dalad amot and six feet of distance and the fact that in a in a shul we have a certain spiritual social distancing process. So then I just like, oh like I'm on that. Right. It's like something will come together. I'll have a moment. I'll start to think intellectually I'll intellectualize the emotional moment. And then I wrote a book called Spiritual Social Distance. I wrote an article called Spiritual Social Distancing. And that was um and I and I and I wrote a, a bracha on I wrote an, an article on the bracha on friendship as a reunion blessing. And I and I felt like that was Jewish wisdom that I, I felt like why well, say this for ourselves? Like, write this in first things. It's a journal of religion, it widely read, and let people see that Judaism has this beautiful way. I, I never thought in my life I would say Barap hametim And there I was seeing a friend in New York, and we're both reciting this over each other and crying. I was like, let's let's put that out there in the world, you know, and I don't know where it'll go. Um, but I think that that sort of that willingness to, you know, like people wear t-shirts, I'm a writer, uh, you, like, you may appear in my book one day, you know, as a sort of like, you know, to scare people. I, I think if you're, if you're a keen observer of life, um, and, and you try to learn a lot, it's sort of worlds come together in really powerful and generative ways. And so, um, you know, that's, Then you just have to sit down and you took
0: us (laughs) and they last they last and the classes we teach don't have the same uh enduring value that books do which is why even in an age of twitter i think that that uh the books are still going to have uh, a value that i I
1: hope so i hope so i think uh, i i do teach uh quite a bit and i think even if i were to write professionally full-time which by the way I told if I could make a living, I would totally do, uh, but I cannot yeah. make a living from it. Um, yeah. And but but teaching gives me a different kind of feedback. And um, I think when you can teach and write and teach and write, that's that's a great. You know especially if it's it's around the same topic that that's
0: that's the best So that's sort of how you try and organize it. You're saying you have seasons that you focus on the writing no huh. it's,
1: it's, it's 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 like I watch a lot of professors do that they'll teach a course, and yes, write it up yes. and they'll write it, teach it and I'm like I've got to get on that uh, <laughs> so i think i think I'm, I'm moving in that direction I'm moving in that direction uh, I don't know where I was all
0: this time i i under, I understand very much what, you, <laughs> what you're explaining. My husband's always like, why do you make it more difficult for yourself? Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, I don't know, because I have to make it diverse (laughs) and I'll get bored. He's like, who's bored? You're always working. He's like, just make, put it all around the same topic, you know? Right. Uh, right. Well, I I
1: have had a lot of observations um, in, you know, as I've been reflecting on Rabbi Sachs' death and rereading things and talking and teaching and, um, you know, Rabbi Sachs, did not have i think a wider range of themes he just didn't um he i think i think what made him influential is that he picked what his torah was about and he just kept doing variations of that i mean they were very they're very sophisticated variations and um and the wealth of philosophers and demographers and psychological studies and you know he brings a lot to to bear but the themes are almost always the same and um that's been sort of a learning for me this year is to think well you know maybe the boredom that goes into like let's write this and let's write that and let's wa- work on this mm, may may not oh, maybe good in the moment but may in the in the legacy in the writing legacy may be less useful
0: and detracts from the from the sense of it being a canon, almost meaning that it has a, a certain—I don't know if it can. I mean, I don't take myself that seriously. No, seat, <laughs> okay, that was too too, too too bombastic of <laughs> a word, right? But I, I meaning I'll I'll say it in a different example, which is that uh, someone Alex Israel, do you know him? Uh, who he recently? Uh, I taught him oh, okay. when he was uh, seventeen. We oh, so he say. he recently—I don't remember what the context was. I, I oh, I know somebody shared someone else shared it with me. It was maybe it was on Facebook somewhere, and he shared that. Um, You know, when you would go back and think about what Rav spoke about, he said every single major drashah he gave always had the exact same bottom line, which was, you have to learn Torah intensely. And he said it could be a drashah on Hanukkah, and it could be on Pesach, whatever it was, he said the bottom line was always exactly the same. And he was speaking about the importance of repetition when it comes to teaching or parenting, right? If you want to make a point, right. maybe it's really annoying and even somewhat boring, but to make a point, you have to repeat yourself. And he said, even if, if his students over the years don't, didn't live up to his expectation, they knew exactly what the expectation, what come. the bar yeah. was. The bar was learn Torah intensely. And maybe you won't be doing that right now, but you know that that's what's right. been expected of you. Uh, yeah, and I so it, it's an example in a Thank parallel you. world, but. Yeah, but you're. Thank as, you for that gift. That's a a really a really important idea, and I think also a little bit because our some people it's a personality thing to be bored, and some people it's also the age of it's hard for us to focus on something for too long. Which I don't think it's where you're coming at it from, but I'm saying people of the millennials and 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 below, um, who also have bring a lot of great things to the table. I don't want to be I'm not besmirching the millennials. I think they've brought a lot of interesting things to the world. Yeah, of course. But in any event, the that there is something to be that what well, we mentioned before about sticking out for the long run also you're saying might have truth in terms of the themes that one writes about to stick it out in the long run and that that ultimately has greater impact.
1: Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And I think there are new ways to say things and that's, you know, that's part of the, that's part of the work is finding the new way to say things. I also think I haven't always been clear on my own audience, right? You know, am I writing for non-orthodox? Am I writing for a general public? I've experimented with different things. And so, still figuring that out still figuring that
0: out. It's also good to hear. And, and uh, you know, for everyone, you know, people look at others who are so far ahead of them and think that, you know, they must have some sort of formula. And it's always important to, to remember that everybody is all still figuring things out in, in their own stage of the journey. Yeah. The
1: formula is to wake up, is the same "Modani," is to feel so blessed that you're here and then to do something of meaning each day.
0: I have another like seventy five million things that I would like to talk to you about, but we're we're gonna have to we're gonna have to wind down. I'm looking at my recording, and I'm just thinking, oh no, how is it? Out
1: here?
0: <laughs> I'm just curious if you you know could give, and I'm sure you do give a, a lot of advice to. Uh, but to a young woman who wants to start off on a path of of education in general, and perhaps also writing, I'm curious what what you know piece of advice would you would you give her um, um, to to start on that journey? Yeah,
1: I, I read some advice recently. I thought, oh, that's good advice. Write 150 words a day and take a 10 minute walk every day. You know, in other words, and then and see where that takes you. You know, and and it, and part of it is the everydayness of it, and you can see if I can do this. Can I do? Can I do more? Um, you know, and and um, you know, you, you've got to put your name out a lot, a lot, in a lot of different places and a lot of different ways to see what sticks. Um, and someone might reject you, and it has nothing to do with you. You know, I'm not the world's most secure person, and rejection comes hard. Uh, but um, but but we can take it, you know, we can take it. You know, I I always think that one of the strongest expressions in Tanakh is v'takamhi, when Naomi gets up after losing everything. Mm -hmm. And it's almost as if the rest of this, you could imagine the rest of the story, you might not imagine it in that particular way. But from a storytelling perspective, there's getting up is a decision when, when you keep losing. And uh, it's a decision that eventually led to Gula. And you know, I, think, I think in writing, writing has a similar sort of framework, which is you know, there's a lot of loss, there's a lot of rejection, there's a lot of insecurity, but there's moments when you feel that, and you, know, you gotta get up because you don't know that the next time you try something magical won't happen.
0: I'm I'm taking that in. I'm taking giving myself another three three seconds to take that in. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, look, that that was my conclusion of saying, you know, there the, the number of best selling writers out there in the world, just like, you know what, be realistic. That's not gonna happen. I'm I'm writing to keep myself out of trouble, and that seems to be <laughs> a good enough reason.
0: Uh, okay. I think uh are you ready for a little lightning round, Erica?
1: Uh whatever lightning round is I'm sure
0: <laughs> okay um this I'm gonna have to ask us in plural, but uh what what books are this is I, I like to always end my conversations with a number of of short questions, okay, just mm-hmm. answer it you know associatively uh what books are currently on your nightstand?
1: um I have a five volume work on art that was put out uh by the New Yorker um I have Mary Oliver poems um and Louise Gluck's poems and um joseph Brodsky's poems i uh, just finished starting out in the evening i'm reading another book called i think it's called trumpet it's called trumpet um you know there's always a fiction there's always poetry and there's always fiction um but in the day i'm almost always reading something on tanakh right now i'm reading on Kohele, michael michael v fox on um Mm-hmm. on uh, his book on contradictions in Ecclesiastes. So uh, I, I'm, there's always like some, usually some academic Tanakh book or,
0: you know, something like that in the day. I think Tanakh is the main part of the sandwich. Uh,
1: yeah, it's like, it'll be something in Jewish studies. There's always something in Jewish studies and then there's
0: always a fiction.
1: And I, I'll, I'll do a lot of memoir and then fiction and then some nonfiction So it's like a rotating thing, but uh, you know, it's a lot.
0: I I wanted, I'm sorry. I have to just deviate for a second. Were you, were you also reading at this pace when your kids were little? I'm sorry. I have to ask this question for personal reasons. I was, otherwise I couldn't be
1: a parent. I look, I also, as a personality, I'm very introverted. And so like, I need a lot of like a lot of my own sort of, in order to, to give to my family.
0: Self-preservation in order to give to others. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, You know, I need, I need both of those things. But I but in order to go out and, you know, I, I don't like noise. So gee, like I need a lot of quiet alone time and then I can go out and, you know, do the noise and then come back.
0: Okay. A lot, many years ago we would have hung out in the park, I'm just saying. Um <laughs> Good. <laughs> My Let's husband comes home and I'm like, it's very, it's very loud here. I really can't. <laughs> um, four girls, a lot of yelling, less fighting, a lot of yelling. Um, okay. If you could sit down with anyone alive, uh, famous, not famous for coffee or tea or whatever you like to drink, who would it be?
1: Oh gosh. It may have been someone like Golda Meir. It may have been someone like Golda Meir. Um... I think I think I'm interested in I'm interested in adult transformation and how you sort of like so someone who you know really makes a change in life in the way that she did and dedication and bravery and courage and also fighting demons that interests me and and just making a practical difference in the world yeah that that interests me I mean I think that's interesting because it's not something I see myself ever doing. I'm not a particularly political person, so I'm intrigued by people who have that sort of mindset. But I also like to talk to a number of evil people because I just sort of don't know what's going on there, and that would be. I, I I have the great good fortune of spending a lot of time with with very righteous and good people, and so um, the other people are a mystery.
0: You're curious what the other side looks like. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> just a little.
0: Yes. Yeah, uh, what's your favorite tzvila? Mm.
1: I love hashkivenu. Yeah, I do love that. I would say that the one that I go back to Atachonin is very important for me and it's something I think about pretty much like every day very specifically. You know the way people add something a like I'm always like like seeking divine wisdom in decision making and in intellectual like in in intellectual parsing and how to think about an idea. So so you know Christians have an expression to pray on something. So like atahonein is the time when I pray on something. Yeah, yeah. that I got to think about.
0: I someone in, uh, in an earlier conversation, uh, I think it was Shuli Mishkin. She said that during Corona, that's where she was like, I'm not praying for miracles. I'm praying that all these scientists have a tremendous amount of success in what they're doing, and that they are given a tremendous amount of death.
1: Yeah, that's a good that's a good one. I will say during Corona, I started saying varastih every day. And that's been amazing. I'm not stopping with that.
0: Yeah. Something unexpected that you feel very passionate about. Um, Where are all your passions out there for the world to see?
1: (laughs) You know, I, um, I teach a course in diversity to graduate students at GW and, um, I I'm very, very concerned about race inequalities and structural racism in this country. Um, and, um, it's just—it's not a conversation you can have in the Orthodox community safely or comfortably. Um, but it's—we uh, of all people need, you know, need, need to make that our issue. I understand politically there's a lot of intersectionality and in why Jews haven't gotten involved. But if we could—if we could transcend that, I think there are important things that we actually have to do with our white privilege. So I'm passionate about that.
0: Any hidden talents?
1: Um hidden? No. I paint a lot. I can't say I'm good at that, but I do do that. Yeah.
0: Is that what's behind you on the wall?
1: No, what's behind me on the wall actually are my book covers, which oh, is something I saw I once in Danny in Danny Gordes' house that he had his books and covers. Of. Oh that's nice. One day if I write a book, I'll do that. And um but this was honestly just for me. All of a sudden, Zoom brought my own personal study into everyone's world, and so <laughs> I actually, I actually feel quite uncomfortable about it. Um, I probably should just move it this way, but it's it's hard to get a shot where it's where it's not there. So
0: um, yeah, You're saying for you, it's it's motivation. It's motivation for you to, to keep going.
1: Not motivation, just sort of no. looking back and saying, you know, like these are things that I've done. you know upstairs. I have pictures of my kids. Like that's the most important thing that I do, but uh, that I brought into the world but
0: um yeah okay an exotic location you'd like to visit
1: um I would very much like to go to India I read a lot of novels that are set in India I love Arcane Orion and Enro uh, Hidden Mystery and Adaranchi Roy like I I have a whole Vikram seth i there's a lot of Indian writers that I like, um but my husband doesn't want to go, so I'm just gonna have to backpack that by myself someday <laughs> Okay.
0: could <laughs> find a friend there's a lot of Israelis hanging out there, so uh yeah exactly you'll definitely exactly. find someone to hang out with okay to end this conversation uh i I would just i'm curious to hear something that you're grateful for in your life right now
1: um you know i'm 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 grateful for modern medicine because I think. I think we've spent maybe 16 of the most unusual year, 16 of the most unusual months of our lives globally. And um, yeah, there's been so much to learn about human fragility and human resilience and human creativity and human innovation um, and also human greed and, and a lack of collective thinking. And, you know, I, I feel like, we have to come out of this better than we came into it i don't know that we will but i feel like it's it, if we if we have survived this then sort of we you know we owe the world the best of ourselves
0: thank you so much for for your time and for being so so gracious and uh and sharing
1: oh thank you this is so much more fun than what I what I had planned. The <laughs>
0: <afternoon>. <laughs> uh, it's really it's really been um, quite a pleasure. I just want to thank everyone for joining us on Facebook, whether live or in the future. It's been a real pleasure to be here with Erica, and I'm wishing you all a wonderful evening. I want to thank you for joining me for this series on women and writing. It was such a privilege to sit down with so many talented and interesting women writing books, articles, translating Torah, answering halacha questions. A central point that really stood out for me throughout these conversations was the need to encourage women to sit down and share their ideas with the world. Teaching requires a certain set of skills, and you show up and you do your thing, and then it's over. And it enters the minds and hearts of the people you teach. But there is an entirely different set of skills that are needed for writing to create that place that you need to gather the courage to go and do that, to have the courage to leave your word out there and have it be in the world forever. And this need really stuck out uh, throughout all these conversations that it's so difficult for women to carve out that kind of space and to have the confidence that they're worthy of of that space. Women need context. They need a time and a place. Everyone needs to develop their own writing practices. The practice we heard about was writing every single morning or having a certain word count, that no matter what you have on that day, you don't get up from your seat until you have reached that word count. Um, And that women certainly need to clear their minds in order to enable this kind of creativity to flow. For some women, this might mean a certain moment in their life, a certain period where they perhaps post-child-during years, perhaps where there is enough help uh, in the other areas of their life, whether it be in their work life or their home life, that can enable them to focus. I really love that phrase that Dr. Erica Brown earlier in this episode shared that she called shelf esteem that she had borrowed from a book that she had recently read I think many women really need convincing that their ideas are worth sharing with the world. Uh, I personally believe that this need is based in both nature and nurture, but either way, if you know someone, if you have a friend or a mother or an aunt or a teacher who has this potential and who's been sitting with intellectual and spiritual treasures and hasn't yet made the time to share them in writing, please encourage her to do so. Maybe even sit down with her if she would like about how to rearrange her life so that she can leave this mark in the world, maybe even center this podcast, and the others in the series. We'll be taking a one-week break, and then starting with Parshat Dvarim, we'll be posting a 30- to 40-minute shiur each week with a different Matan uh, faculty member. Our plan is to be back with episodes like these with me as your host after Sukkot with new one-on-one series, which we will be posting and discussing on the Matan Facebook page as the summer progresses. Before I leave you for the summer, I want to remind you about two exciting upcoming Matan events. The first one, which will be held on Zoom, will be on Yudzain Bitamuz, B'tamuz, which is June 27th this year. Matan will be holding an international conversation held between Dr. Yael Ziegler and Dr. Erica Brown. And they will be discussing preparations for the three weeks, talking about tragedy from a biblical perspective. Join us for that moving conversation. I also want to remind you about the upcoming Matan summer program. The first week long in person program is taking place from June 27th through the July 1st. It will focus on studying Israel's flora and fauna. And the second program is a two-week Zoom program taking place from July 4th through 15th. The classes will be in Israel's afternoon and U.S. morning times, intended to make Matan's learning accessible to our annual summer students who can't physically be with us. We'll dig deep into Jewish FOMO, finding our place within the family of nations. You can visit the Matan website or call the office to register. I want to thank you again for joining me for this series, and please, God, we'll be back next year with more enriching, meaningful, and hopefully moving content. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Thank you to the entire Matan team for their input. Please do one on one and women's tour learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and Matan's website and write us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone.